3: Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arboff from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program, The Word to Stand On for Life, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart or mind. If something's been troubling you, we'll do the best that we can to provide answers straight from the Word of God. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's area code 210-340-9585. You can also call toll-free. Free dialing 877-630. KSLR. Numerically it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, I tell you every day the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Because it's Wednesday, the best news about Wednesday is it's one day before Paula, so ladies, tomorrow uh, Paula will be with me on the date day edition of the show. If you have any questions or need encouragement about anything, it um, be a great time to call. Uh, I hope you took my counsel, especially the ladies, but not only the ladies, to watch the Sweet Summer Devotion from Monday at CalvaryEssay.com. If you have any questions or comments about that, we'd love to hear them on tomorrow's program. Uh, also, because it's Wednesday tonight, I'll be teaching Second Samuel chapter 14. Uh, it is for... I think most people, a really hard chapter to swallow. The application for us is hard to swallow, but it's really important because in large part, it deals with how we deal with our children uh, who have gone astray, our children who are making bad choices. Um, Who do we stand for? Are we on our children's side? Are we on Jesus' side? And I would suggest to you, and I'm going to do that tonight, that um, we're only really loving our children if we're on Jesus' side, and I always get a lot of pushback from a study like this. So all of that um, tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, 3409585, here's a question from our email inbox from John. The beginning of Psalm 19.9 says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Could I interpret that to think angels who eventually fall with lucifer may have had no fear of the lord at all the reference of pure enduring forever seems to indicate that or is this passage only for us on earth thanks and i hope it makes sense john it does make sense but here's whenever you see the lord uh, will is with us always he will never leave us or forsake us or the love of the lord endures forever Uh, it means from the point in time forward it means that the moment we meet jesus christ uh, we don't have to have any fear of his love being taken away from us so what david is talking about in the 19th psalm is um relative to human beings Um, No matter what we do, no matter how we've fallen, no matter how many difficult situations that we've created, um, the Lord's love is always set upon us. I love Romans 8.29. I'll paraphrase it. It simply says that God decided in eternity past to set his love on me. He decided I'm going to love Ron no matter what and no matter what I did to try to change his mind. I couldn't change his mind because he knew there was a day in my case it was in February of 1991 when I would become his son eventually his bride and the way we understand that is that his love couldn't be shaken no matter how hard I tried so that's what it means now Psalm 19 doesn't have anything to do with the angels who fell but I think this is something that we need to sort of have an open mind and heart about angels like humans had to make a choice and God simply used Satan's rebellion, the opportunity of Lucifer's free will what are you going to do are you going to believe are you going to stay with me, the first estate or are you going to rebel now we know what Satan did, we know that he had a third of the angels who fell with him they don't get another chance. It doesn't mean the Lord's love doesn't endure forever. It's just that they rejected that love. And I would say this to you, John. Whenever we reject Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. We know that God loved the world. It simply means that we rejected all of His attempts to love us. So his love endures forever. The fear of the Lord is pure, the psalmist says. It's holy. Is the reference there? So, John, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to line one. We've got TJ calling from Austin. TJ, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, huh? Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Are you at all familiar with the uh, the Mandela effect, by any chance? I am not. Oh, okay. It's just, um, uh, where to start? It, it's kind of a complicated conspiracy th- theory type thing. And I'm, I'm sitting, my wife and I are sitting down uh, with an acquaintance of ours this Sunday, and he has some serious concerns about this thing called the Mandela Effect. And I'm trying to think of a way to break it down quickly for you. Um, essentially, uh, you know the phrase, uh, uh, Lions will lay down with lambs.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, a lot of people believe that that's actually in the Bible. Like that's, it might as well be canon at this point. But if you go to Isaiah eleven six, what it actually says is the lam- lambs lay down with wolves. Um, and so there's this conspiracy out there that because everyone remembers it as lions and not wolves, they think that someone has like gone back in time or there's a like a there's like a multiverse aspect to it where the some of the universe is bleeding in and changing our Bibles, but essentially like, uh, the Bible is being changed. No one knows how, and we're all just remembering things like, does that make sense? Like it's been changed somehow. We can't figure it out like time travelers or or whatever. Um, and it's honestly, it's just people not remembering the Bible correctly. And, um, I'm just trying to figure out a way to discuss this with this person. Uh, without becoming a part of the conspiracy by refusing it. Does that make sense? Um,
3: Yeah, I I think I know what you're talking about. Conspiracy theories... Um, TJ are, are demonic. Um, they, they, I've, I've seen people that I care very deeply about who get trapped by these things. Um, my producer just showed me the Mandela Effect as a collective misremembering of, of certain things. Uh, but but what we're trying to do is we're trying to stretch. Um, we're trying to recreate a Bible To fit with the conspiracy theories that we have. Now, I want to make sure there's one thing. Isaiah 65, speaking very directly of the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Um, Uh It says, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Uh, Another translation says, the lion and the lamb will feed together. So, in other words, when the curse is reversed... Uh, there won't be any mm-hmm. such thing as the, the, the one species of animals trying to destroy another. There will be perfect harmony, all of them. Uh, the lion will eat straw with the ox, it says. But that's a direct reference to the millennial reign. Um, any other reference to that is really um, um, a completely different context. So right. uh, two, two things. One, pray for your friend. I know you will. And tell him um, to stop getting his hermeneutics or his theology from the internet and instead take the Bible as a living breathing document written by God himself and if he'll do that the Lord will speak to him now if he's more interested in what people have to say um, uh, I can promise you this there's going to be a, a, a demonic hold it is one of the most difficult things to shake I have had uh, dozens and dozens of, of instances over the years here where people chose to believe things that were absolutely inane. And uh, there's just yeah. nothing that you could do. And I think the devil grabs and holds on to him. So if this guy's a friend, he needs a lot of prayer.
4: Okay. Yeah, I just, uh, it, it's really troubling. Like, cause there's a lot of stuff on the web about it now. And it's not like a massive movement uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people that are coming to believe it more and more. And it, it doesn't just extend to the Bible, like a lot of pop culture references and things like that. There, People are just convinced that, that, uh, yeah. that this is really happening. And I think the scripture, it's in Daniel somewhere where uh, it talks about how the enemy essentially is going to change the law and time. And they're assuming that that's what this is. They're assuming, like, the, inter- the proper interpretation of that scripture is the fact that somebody's going back in time and changing the Bible. And really, it's just us not remembering things correctly. It's, it's not a conspiracy. It's not actually happening. And uh, I just, the, the hardest part for me is I know that when I sit down to talk to him, if he's really bought into this, then if I disagree with him or if I try to talk him down from that ledge, then there's a very good chance that I'm just part of the conspiracy at that point. Um, well, but you're and, right. I mean uh, prayer, prayer.
3: Uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay, TG. I just think I think I, I love your heart for your friend, but at the same time you've got to be willing to risk everything to tell him the truth. And uh, that's yeah. the way we really love him. And and I think being direct in love with him, uh, what these conspiracies, it's not just this one, it's it's conspiracy theories in general. Um, they defy reason, they defy logic um, the, 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 the the real problem is these people want to disqualify the Bible as being the word of God because they don't want to stop yeah. sinning. And that's really the root of of, of all of this. And uh, I've just seen Satan get his clutches into people on these conspiracy theories, all kinds of them, and uh, and it destroys their walk with the Lord, which, of course, is what Satan came to do, to kill, to rob, and to destroy. Uh, I'll be praying for your friend, and you, you might call me back after after your meeting and let us know how it went.
4: Yeah, we'll do. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, TJ. God bless. God three, four, bless. Zero, uh-huh. three four zero uh huh three four zero ninety five eighty five. I cannot tell you how much damage I've seen caused by people who believe crazy things, but won't believe the simple truth that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And TJ, if you're still listening to the program, um, your friend needs to be introduced to Jesus. And all you can do, it's the word of God that has power. Sharing the gospel of God, it is the power of God unto salvation, according to Paul in Romans chapter 1. And when your friend stops listening, then you stop talking. And let him know there's no point in carrying this conversation but let him know you're always going to be there, that you're, you, you, you care so deeply about him that you're involved in this conversation in the first place, but that if he ever wants to see things for the way they really are, then and only then will you be ready for him. Let him know that's what a friend does. I'll be here for you, but not with this nonsense. If he accuses you of being part of the conspiracy, truth is you'll be accused of worse things than that before your time on earth is done. Tough one. Here is a question from Ben. Pastor Ron, I've noticed that there are chronological differences in the gospel accounts. Are they mistakes? And if not, why are the differences there? Um, Ben, a couple of things. Remember, I had a question yesterday um, uh, on the program about the different purposes that the writers of the gospels had. And uh, in some cases, and here I see the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit, in many cases what we see here is a story being told or a point being made by each of those gospel writers. Now, some things are clearly taken out of chronological order by one or the other of the gospel writers. But they're certainly not mistakes. They're there to preserve an account or they're there to tell a particular story, so that's why the differences are. But remember, the chronology changes, but the content does not. The fact that Mark has something happening before something else doesn't mean that the the the, the John's Gospel or Luke's Gospel, who says this happened first, I'll give you a good example: of the uh, whole Palm Sunday story. Uh, the cursing of the fig tree. Matthew makes it look like it happened uh, on the same day. Um, We find a chronology later that says, no, this is when it happened, and all we have to do is look closely, and it's easy to determine what really happened. But Matthew has a particular story to tell. So the content never, ever changes. Now, if one of the Gospels said that this thing happened here, and it only happened here, and one of the other Gospels said, no, it happened on another time or another occasion, then we would have some difficulties. But that's not what it says. And in particular, the preposition then is often used uh, whenever you want to know what the chronology is. You look in the story and you'll see something. Jesus did this, then immediately he did this, and then we can easily pick out the chronology. So it's not a difficult um, hermeneutic. Um, to to, to discern which is which. But please understand, the content never changes. Thank you, Ben. Here is a question from Felicia. Felicia, I wish I had the answer to your question. She says, Why do so many Christians divorce when we know God hates it? Um, Felicia, there's only one reason. Jesus said that Moses permitted divorce Because of the hardness of men's, and I would add women's, hearts. We've been given free will. We can do what we choose to do. But the truth is that when our hearts are hard, we don't want to obey God. When our hearts are hard, we want what we want instead of what God wants for us. And we make horrible decisions, we pay the price for it. There are always, always going to be consequences. And yet the truth is, Felicia, that we who are Christians, so many of us have bought into the the, the way the world does things, the world that we live in. And we have to understand that's not what God ever intended. He intended for one man and one woman to be married until death do them part. I always say in my vows, until Jesus comes for us. And yet some of those people who made that vow to God with lots of witnesses. They make the decision of divorce because they're not happy or he's not meeting my needs or she's not meeting my needs or, or he's not what I thought he was or she's different than I expected. And what it amounts to is we don't care, Felicia, about our promises to God. At least we don't care about our promise to God as much as we care about what we perceive to be our happiness. I think if you look around those Christians who made a promise to God to stay married and who did not stay married and didn't have biblical grounds for divorce, you're going to find they're not really happy at all. And see, that's the way the enemy works, but it's because our hearts are hard. Now, we know, Felicia, there are times when God permits divorce and he gives us the reasons. Abandonment is a reason. Adultery, of course, is a reason. I also consider physical abuse a reason for divorce. And yet we live in a world where people decide, no, I'm just not happy. And yet they claim to be Christians. They wonder why things don't get better for them. It's because they've never gotten right with God. And there are people divorced. They recognize what a horrible mistake it was. They throw themselves at the mercy of our merciful Jesus. And they are forgiven. And they get a new start. But too often we divorce just to make things better for ourselves. And it never works out that way. It breaks my heart. Felicia, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but I'm here today doing this show. I'm here as a pastor of the greatest church in the world. I don't mean because I'm here, just the greatest people in the world go here all of that is because my wife refused to divorce me for 13 years she prayed for me until I got saved and if she divorced me who knows where I would have been the one thing I know for sure the one thing I know for sure is that we Paula and I would have missed out Because God's plan is always good. When he tells somebody to stay married and they have no biblical grounds for divorce, it's always better that they do so. Truthfully, our hearts get hard. We don't want to. It's just that simple. Ooh, I hate that. 3409585, David says. I'm always, Larry, when a question starts out like this. I'm not trying to get people mad at you, but could you share what your opinion is about gay couples becoming parents? Uh, David, people get mad at me when I tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth here. Um, I think, personally, there's almost nothing worse that you can do for a child than to bring him into an environment that embraces sin. Period. I know the emotional argument, well, a gay couple is better than not having parents. No. No, see, we, we just don't trust God. We don't really believe His Word. So I am not at all in favor of gay couples. I want them to get saved. I want them to love Jesus. But Jesus won't accept them in their lifestyle thus I'm not at all in favor of gay couples trying to pretend that they can sort of undo what God did naturally a man and a woman create children that's the general course of life a man and a man or a woman and a woman can't do that and so it just isn't something that ought to be done and again I know how backwards that sounds to people in this world Uh, but the truth is that that you're destroying a child's future. They say, no, we're protecting a future. We're we're offering him love. We're offering him security and safety. You're raising a child in an environment that says it's okay to rebel against God. That is never safe or secure. It's never safe or secure. So, David, that's um, about as direct as I can possibly be, and yet... Um, it will make people angry with me, but that's okay. Not that I like it, but it's okay. Here is a question from Adam: Does the Bible teach that a Christian, if he messes up, cannot return to the faith? No, it doesn't. In fact, it teaches just the opposite. Uh, you're referring to Hebrews um, chapter six. Um, it's impossible for a man, if he falls away, to be renewed under repentance. Uh, But that's to misunderstand that passage altogether. In fact, Adam, our entire faith is built on the fact that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's about as straightforward as it can possibly be. 1 John one nine, the word confess means to agree with God. By that I mean if I do something that God says is wrong and I agree with Him that it's wrong, And further, I agree that I don't ever want to do it again. God, please forgive me. Then that sin is as far from me as east is from west. It would mean that Peter would have forfeited his role as an apostle. He denied Jesus three times. So the Hebrew's context, it's always misunderstood it's funny, I read Hebrews, and I think it's one of the books that, that, that shouts eternal security. And yet some people read it and they're terrified. Let me explain to you why I think that is. Adam, I think that when Christians mess up, the enemy is there heaping, piling condemnation on them. And because that's what he does, we buy the lie. And Satan twisted scripture when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He'll twist scripture to try to confuse us. He wants us to live condemned lives instead of victorious lives. And the truth of the matter is that repenting, confessing our sins, not wanting to sin anymore is the central element of our walk with Jesus. Jesus. So the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, it teaches just the opposite. So whatever it is you're worried about, bring it to Jesus. Tell him you're sorry. Don't want to do it anymore. Say, I need help. Fill me with your spirit afresh. And then start walking free from condemnation. Learn to really enjoy the fact that God forgives you. Paula says... All the time when she's counseling people, especially, she'll say, my favorite thing about God is his forgiveness. Truth is that if a Christian messed up and was lost to the faith, we'd all be lost. Because frankly, Adam, we all mess up. I wish it weren't so, but we all mess up. So Adam, hope that answers your question. We've got 30 minutes left in today's program. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back we love your phone calls 340-9585 i keep saying that because you are a lot more interesting than i am here is an anonymous question uh pastor on drinking is legal So why are so many Christians dead set against it? I think we should be free to drink if we want to. Anonymous, you are free to drink if you want to. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I am a Christian who is dead set against drinking because I've seen the damage that it's caused so many. For those of you who have taken my counsel and listened to Myra Jo's Sweet Summer Devotion, Uh, from this past Monday at our website you know what damaged drinking did in her life I want you to think about all of the good things that have come from drinking shouldn't take you long because the answer is nothing good comes from drinking it's legal but so is abortion it's legal But what one positive thing ever resulted from drinking? I think anonymous are just trying to find a reason to reject the work that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your heart. Here's a question to consider, and I'd ask you to really perfectly consider this. If you and Jesus went out Wherever you go, He's there if you're a believer. Would you drink? Would you have two or three or more? Or would you, because you were in the presence of the Lord, want to be perfectly lucid to listen to and grasp everything that He had to say to you? I hope the answer is the latter. Well, here's the thing you got to remember. He is with you. One of the things, and only Paula really knows this about me, but one of the things that drives me crazy, because again, I've seen so much horror as a result of drinking. It kills me when I see all of the references, whether it's real-life references, television ads, or just conversation between people, where drinking is always a part of It's like you can't have any fun if you don't drink. But I would suggest to you, Anonymous, that being with Jesus is what's really fun. Now, obviously, getting drunk is a sin. Getting drunk should be defined as being high. It is, by the way, why marijuana though it is now legal it's something that Christians should never even consider because we become under the control or we become controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit so I would change your question I would say Anonymous if you're a Christian why are you so dead set on drinking when in fact being with Jesus is all you need These are questions that you have to answer. When I get questions like this, it always seems to me like the Holy Spirit is already convicting your heart and you're looking for somebody to agree with you so that you can go in and drink. It is unnatural, it is unhealthy, and certainly unwise to live a life where you can't be free of something that causes so much evil. Now, having a beer is not a sin. Drinking in moderation is not a sin. But it's not good for you either. It's not good when parents drink to take the edge off. Or they can only have fun when they drink, and they've got kids watching, following their example. So Anonymous, this seems to be an issue that you've got with the Lord. You need to deal with it. Here is a question. Let me see. We've got uh, an anonymous caller on line one. Thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hello, Pastor Ron. I just got a question. Um, It seems that lately as I'm getting older, I'm making more silly comments and, you know, just looking at things a little different since I guess I'm older and I'm like getting cranky and stuff. And um But I'm making some people offended. I'm making, like, some of my daughter-in-laws offended, and I don't want to do that. And, of course, I'm sure they're venting a little bit, and the kids are hearing it. And, you know, I just don't see it going to a good place. So, shit, it would be better just, like, kind of avoid them or avoid talking to them. I mean, until I can get my flesh under control. You know, I mean, sometimes it's spurred on by what they do or, you know, how, how they raise their kids or, you know, stuff I probably don't have no business dealing with but is it better to just kind of stay away and you know i mean i have a job i could work a lot i could you know just kind of avoid those settings to where i don't make them stumble you know and i don't stumble the the things you're saying so help me with that okay i appreciate it Uh, i I
3: can do it anonymous thank you very very much
2: okay thank you bye-bye
3: okay you know the problem with with avoiding them is that you get ripped off and they get ripped off you love each other you need one another um, they need a godly example uh, for their lives. They need to see somebody who's rightly representing the Lord. And by simply saying, well, the, the, the way to take care of this is, is just to avoid them altogether so I don't embarrass myself or I don't offend them, uh, when really that's not the answer at all. The answer is to bring your flesh under control. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Galatians chapter 5 says that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit so here's the thing stop talking do a Bible say in, in the, the book of James he talks about the tongue and the damage it causes and as Christians we want our Jesus to be attractive and anonymous if people look at you and they avoid you or want to avoid you and then they make the connection you're a Christian then, then what they're going to say is well if that's Jesus I don't want any part of him so please don't avoid them just change That's the best thing about the Lord. Every day there's grace available that changes who we are dramatically. All we have to do, if you're with Jesus, Anonymous, you won't say dumb things. You won't say hurtful things. You won't have to be in everybody's business. If they are raising children differently than you would raise your child, then you don't need to say anything at all. And Paul and I, we've got five grandchildren um, we, we have a good relationship with our kids uh, and, our, and their, their, their wives um, but uh, we just have a rule that we go by unless we're invited into their lives we don't offer opinions they know who we are they know who we stand for they can't be around us without us talking about Jesus so they know everything but avoiding them because I don't want to embarrass myself, doesn't it just seem to make sense that we'd stop embarrassing ourselves? I'm going to give you the same advice, same counsel that God gave Cain. Cain, why are you so troubled? Why is your spirit so downcast? And then God told him this, if you do what is right, will it not go well with you? Cain didn't listen, and of course paid the consequences eternally but you see Anonymous you can listen you can purpose right now to change and I want you to understand that the spirit of God that lives in you as a Christian the same power that raised Christ from the dead is powerful enough to transform you now I can pretty well conclude two things or somebody who's always got their foot in their mouth or somebody who uses foul language and I'm not suggesting that's what you meant but, but, but any of these kinds of self-control issues especially those with the mouth I can pretty much pinpoint that you're not in prayer very much with Jesus and you're not in the word very much see the word says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind that'll change you. If you think about the hurtful things that you say said to people, the desire that is in your heart is to change, but if you just avoid people, then there's no need to change and we end up with our hearts becoming harder and harder. The other thing I'd ask you to do, anonymous, is to think about who you're really offending. You're offending God. Let me tell you a very quick story. I had a really foul and dirty mouth before I got saved. Um, horrible Um, I got saved I was pretty radically transformed Uh, I didn't know much but I mean that's what happens when Jesus comes to live in you and I would catch myself before these foul words would come out of my mouth and one day and I'll tell you how embarrassing this was this happened in Bible college one day, just talking in normal conversation to one of the, the young younger men in, in our dorm room, um, a, a, a curse word came up. And the look on his face was something I'll never forget. His name was Mark Kiros. He's a pastor now in Florida. And Mark looked at me with that look on his face. Oh, his last name wasn't Kiros. That's somebody in our church. Um, But but Mark looked at me and, and I said, I am so sorry, please forgive me. And I was so undone by that that I went away and just prayed. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry I offended him. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, well, what about you're offending me? And he gave me a picture that I'll never forget. I was saying this hurtful thing, this ugly word. And Jesus was standing between me and Mark. And he let me know that before that word ever got to mark, it polluted him. And Anonymous, that is the only time I've cussed in my 27 years as a Christian. I couldn't stand to hurt Jesus like that. You're supposed to represent Jesus to the people you love, to everybody really, but in this context, the people that you love. And you're misrepresenting him. And that's what I want to break your heart, not to cause you to do guilt or feel condemned. But this is one of those things where you need to go to the Lord and say, God, I keep doing the wrong thing. Go to Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, what I want to do, I can't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing and then he comes to the conclusion oh wretched man that I am who can deliver me from this body of death and the answer is in the 25th verse of chapter 7 I thank my God through Jesus Christ make no room for your flesh to live kill it hate it instead of saying oh this is just the way I am I'm getting older and I'm getting cranky hate it and God will change you I'll be praying for you. This is a tough thing. Billy says, oh, we got a caller here. I'm sorry. David calling from San Antonio on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Yes, I wanted to let you know I was listening to the previous caller, and I was touched. You see, I don't know if you know this, but something similar happened with me too. Can I tell you my story?
3: Uh, You can tell me briefly, David. Sure, I'd like to hear it.
2: In my case, I've been having troubles with my uh, anger issues, but that was Mm -hmm. mainly because of all of the anger and hate towards the bullies of the past. I've been bullied ever since I was in my school age years, and I don't and I've been ha- hating these bullies ever since.
3: Yeah, David, these are hard things. You know, our our life experiences, Paul and I was saying at home, everybody is the way they are for a reason. Our life experiences develop who we are. Well, the one thing that we all have to understand, by faith, it's the only way we can we can apprehend this, is that Jesus died to reverse all of that. And so the way we respond to this is to be filled with the Spirit, make no provision for the flesh, and then we will live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And when we're pleasing to the Lord, everything changes. Listen to this, David. And you can take a note and go um, read it as soon as I'm, uh, as soon as you hang up the line. Galatians okay. five, verse twenty-two. Five, Galatians five, twenty-two says, "The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience." kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you're living a life empowered by the Spirit of God, those are the things that are evident in your life. Now, obviously, when we say love and peace and kindness, that means we've got to deal with all of those things that have caused us pain in our past, the people that have hurt us. And Jesus said this. He said, Forgive one another as you have been forgiven by God and if we understand that correctly David we've been forgiven completely by God he wants us to be free from holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness and anger he wants us not to be uh, burdened by the things of the past and all we have to do is understand what Jesus did for us on the cross the people that hurt you apart from Jesus Christ, you're going to pay for that. Amen. Jesus, and Jesus reversed all of that in your life by saying, David, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I love you. And David, hear this, please. Jesus forgave you of everything you've ever done. And all he asks you to do is be like him and forgive others. So you can be free, so that you're not burdened by the things that have happened in your past. And if you understand that, in reality, David, the one thing I can promise you is that there has to be, there, there never has to be another minute of your life that is burdened by what somebody else did to you in the past. Because Jesus found you, the old is gone, the new has come. Now our flesh is still with us, so we have to remember that every day. But when those ugly thoughts come, and believe me, they will come because because there's an enemy that's going to keep reminding you. But you've got to remember that's a message from the pit of hell. And so we choose then to believe, God, you've forgiven me because I love you. I've chosen to forgive all of those other people. And then you can enjoy your walk with Jesus instead of being burdened by what other people have done. So David... Thank you for telling the story. It's not going to change. The enemy going to keep pounding. But you can hold on by faith to everything that God has done. When you are having bad thoughts or when uh, you don't feel like forgiving or when that anger wells up in you, look at that list in chapter 5 of Galatians, verses 22 and 23, and you'll see, wait a minute, anger is not on that list. That's, f- that's flesh. Holding a grudge is not on that list. That's flesh. And then you can simply say, I choose Jesus to walk with you, for you, and in a way that honors you. And if you remind yourself over and over and over, the Spirit then will do the work of transformation. And things will be better. David, thank you for letting us know. 340-9585. David is a young man who has called many times on the program in the past. And... Um, Um, I thank him for sharing that because that's the first bit of his past that he's really shared with us. Here is the question from Billy that I was about to go to. Uh, Billy says, James seems to say we are saved by faith and works, but I've always been taught that we are saved by faith alone, which is true. Billy, it's faith alone. You've been taught correctly. But what you're doing is you're misreading James at all. He says, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. But what he's talking about is the fruit that comes from knowing Jesus. So here's the thing. If you meet Jesus, then you're changed. The works aren't doing things like, oh, I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every day. Not those kind of works, but the works of the Spirit. And if you've really met Jesus, if you're saved by faith, then because you've changed then the outworking of your life is going to look different to everybody who's looking at you so the Bible is clear cover to cover we're saved by faith alone in the Old Testament Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness Ephesians says that we are saved by grace through faith, faith is the instrument through which we get saved And then he says this, the faith isn't your own faith, it was a gift of God. Even God provided the faith to believe. And when we say yes to Jesus, then we're saved. The outworking of saying yes to Jesus, Billy, is going to be, everybody's going to see there's a new you. You're going to know there's a new you. So you're misunderstanding James. We are saved by faith alone. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. we got time, I think, to get a call or two in here. We, oh, we're five minutes, so you have to call quickly. Here is a question from Reggie. Reggie says, so when is the rapture going to happen? Reggie, I hope and pray before we get off the air. I hope right now. But the truth is, we don't know. No one does. Uh, We believe, Reggie, that the rapture is imminent. By that I don't mean it's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. But by that I mean it could happen tomorrow or the next day. It could happen, as I said a moment ago, even now. Nothing else has to be fulfilled or accomplished before Jesus comes for his church. We need to be ready. That's why we live ready. Now here's the problem, Reggie, if I said, the rapture is going to happen Monday of next week. We all get all cleaned up and live our lives better than we're living them now. But by not knowing when it's going to happen, we need to live in such a way that we're ready for the rapture to happen. And, Reggie, I think the easiest way to gauge where your heart is on this question is for you to be honest and ask yourself this question. If Jesus came today, right now, would you be pleased? If the answer to that question is no, then you're not ready to see him. But the response that you honestly give yourself, you got to deal with that. I've had people tell me, I don't want the rapture to happen now because I've got these things in my life that I know shouldn't be there. And my response is always, well, repent and change, and well, I'm just not ready to stop this or stop that yet. And, What we got to do is understand that's a sinful way of living. That's not just things that you're not ready to give up. That's sin. And I think, Reggie, when we don't hate sin, our sin, we're not ready for the return of Christ. And if we remain in that condition, then perhaps we don't even belong to Him. So I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I hope it happens really really soon but until that time Reggie what I'm going to do is serve the Lord with all of my heart every morning looking at the eastern sky and thinking today could be the day final question today Mark says Galatians 3 refers to the seed of Abraham who is that seed is it the church no Galatians 3 gives you the answer to that question Uh, Mark, it says, um, Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, the scripture doesn't say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed in the singular, that's my imposition on the scripture, meaning one person who is Christ. So this is a reference to the seed of Abraham, um, and it refers to Jesus. And it's Jesus who um, reverses the curse. Galatians 3.13 says that the curse, uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law becoming a, by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, "Curses is everyone who hung on a tree. And then the next verse is beautiful. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's the church so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So that is the seed. It is Christ and only Christ. It is the seed that lived in perfection and then gave His perfection to us freely uh, without uh, any reservation at all. I love that. You know, in our study tonight, uh, there is a verse in 2 Samuel 14, one of the most marvelous verses in all the Old Testament. God devises a way so that we can be gathered to Him. Well, God devised a way for all of us to come to Him in spite of the fact that we sin. And here's how we respond to that wonderful gift. With a grateful heart, we say, Lord, my life belongs to You. That's the one thing I want you to leave here with. Instead of being who you are, instead of giving in to being cranky or caller. Remember who Jesus made you. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock. But beautiful Paulo will be live in studio with me then, ladies. It's your day. We'll see you then. God bless.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels. The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at four.